Time for our rounded table discussion here on KRVN to begin our midday show. Scott in here with you on a Thursday. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you being out there wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Thanks for taking some time to be with us here today. Bob Rogan's in here with me as we get ready to talk about uh, what's going to be happening over the next couple hours. Susan Littlefield will is up first. She'll talk a little bit about farm. Susan? Well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team. Chabella will step in to kick it all off, talking about the soil health with cover crops. And then Clay Patton has the midday at 1245 with the fourth generations of Dawson County 4-H'ers. And I'll wrap it all up at 117. Is the cattle market finally playing catch-up? We find out more from Brad Coima. That's a Thursday on the midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. I appreciate it. It's uh, time for us to take a look at sports. A couple stories popped up. But I had to, st- I had to start with this. My goodness. I was just... Uh, just it turned on uh, the memorial, which is golf tournament taking place right now, and a young man by the name of Bryson DeChambeau hit hit on his opening hole, hit it 473 yards. That is a really really long shot to open up your day. Now I just watched him hit one into uh, the rough a little bit ago, so that might have been the highlight of his day. But uh, he's hit actually hit two over 400 yards. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's really good. And uh, congratulations to him on that. Well, uh, we are certainly talking and thinking a lot about what is going to be happening with high school sports. A lot of schools getting some final decisions being made on some things. Some schools kind of trying to work out even graduation programs as we get ready to go into it. Well, the state of Kansas has made some decisions. Uh, Governor Laura Kelly has postponed the start of school until after Labor Day. Kansas high school sports calendar was officially set to begin August 17th, and that delay will push the start of sports back three weeks. So we'll see what happens uh, with that and see if that affects us in any way. Good news here for uh, a local basketball standout. Katie Nichols played her high school ball at Pleasanton, graduated last year. She's going to be continuing her basketball career as she signs uh, with Midland. So um, good for her. I've got to see her play a few times, and, and she's quite a good shooter. And, of course, that Pleasanton, uh, Pleasanton team is just really, really good. Seems to be year in and year out. Well, stocks uh, are down a little bit today, down 142 points is the Dow Jones. We turn it over to Bob Brogan for more on that. They are down. Wall Street retreating and trading following a mixed set of reports on the economy. And uh, one showed that layoffs are continuing across the country. And that kind of put a damper on things. The S&P 500 was six-tenths percent lower after the first half hour of trading following markets worldwide downward. The number of laid-off workers seeking unemployment benefits remained stuck at 1.3 million last week. Uh, but U.S. retail sales climbed a solid 7.5% in June, a, a sign that the economy was healing right before infections from the coronavirus spiked again. So those are some of the things going on, some good news, some bad news, uh, and some in between. All right, that's all coming up 
on Midday. When bad weather happens, you can rely on KRVM. We are your home for up-to-the-minute coverage of flooding. And a flooded south part of Kearney. Doesn't look like any of these roads are going to open anytime soon. Tornadoes. Three tornado warnings that are in effect right now, and two of them until 745. This storm that has spawned these tornadoes has now grown. And severe weather impacting our listing area. The southern part of this tornadic thunderstorm could be moving back through the Farnham area in the next few minutes as well. We will be there to alert you to any significant weather events and we can take you to the scene with our reporters for in-moment experiences. Where we have the drone right now, we're facing to the south looking at Interstate 80 and literally right off as you head north into Kearney. This is why they have the interstate shut down. Water's over the road so they don't want folks driving through that obviously. With our social media pages, you can find photos, videos, and interviews in real time. Check out KRVN.com for podcasts, interviews, and news stories. 880 KRVN. We are who you rely on when bad weather happens. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. we got Paul Perkins in studio as usual and uh, kind of the calm before the hot stuff coming in here today, huh? Yeah, some transition days here tomorrow or today and tomorrow okay. into some seasonal temperatures after we experienced some mostly nice conditions over the last few days. But yeah, on the way to some serious heat as we head towards Saturday, probably our warmest day of the year so far coming up on Saturday. Really? Yeah, yeah. triple digits, possibly many locations coming Great. up. It's just yeah. what I wanted to hear. But... The other side is cooling down and rain, right? Exactly, yeah. Some promising rain chances coming up early next week anyhow, but it doesn't look like the cool down will be too long. Right now we are seeing that increase in humidity across the area. You may notice that. Upper dew points in the upper 60s as far west as the Nebraska Sandhills at Thedford down to North Platte, McCook into northwest Kansas. Those dew points for many of us in the upper 60s to low 70s. Feeling a little bit sticky out there. Yeah, you don't see that a lot getting into the Sandhills like that, do you? Exactly, yeah. A lot of people that do come in from western Nebraska into central areas go, my gosh, the humidity around here. (laughs) But right now, most of our temperatures in the upper 70s to the low 80s. And when you do figure in that heat and humidity together, it is making it feel like it's into the mid to upper 80s on into the, at least the eastern third of Nebraska into northern Kansas. On the backside of high pressure today, sliding to the east-south winds, leading to temperatures today and tomorrow, warming closer to more seasonal levels with some sunshine. Thunderstorms possible for late today through tomorrow morning with the approach of a warm front. A few of those storms could go severe, especially in a small area along the northwest of a line from Bassett to North Platte and Grant, where the Storm Prediction Center does have a slight risk of severe storms. Hot, humid, and dry weather expected as we head towards Saturday with a warm front and a building rich of high pressure. That combination of heat and humidity will make it feel like it's close to 105 across much of the area. Sunday temperatures, though, returning back to seasonal in behind a cold front that moves through for Saturday night. Multiple rounds of beneficial thunderstorms are possible as we head towards Sunday through early next week as that front stalls out and lingers. That's too far right now out to be specific on when and where we could maybe see some strong to severe storms. But right now looking at a pretty promising chance of some rain as we head towards Sunday night into Monday. And then some lingering chances as we head into Monday night into Tuesday. In our long-term forecast, chances remain likely for above-normal temperatures in Nebraska, Kansas, and nearly all of the U.S. for Tuesday through July 29th, sounding like a broken record for the month of July on those above-normal temperatures. In a slight change in the rain outlook, Nebraska 
Nebraska rainfall forecast to be near normal in the middle of next week before trending below normal for Nebraska by next weekend through July 29th. Kansas rainfall expected to be below normal the entire period of Tuesday through July 29th. Coverage of dryness increasing in the latest regional drought monitor. Nebraska dropped 16 percentage points to only to 41% drought-free, so over half of Nebraska now experiencing dryness issues. Most of Nebraska experiencing abnormal dryness to a moderate drought. Areas not experiencing dryness currently are north-central Nebraska, down through a very small area from around Broken Bow to Lexington and Alma, and a large part of southeast Nebraska. Kansas improved just three percentage points. They are 35% drought-free. Much of western, north, central, and southeast Kansas abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Areas south of Sharon Springs to Oakley and western Kansas experiencing severe to extreme drought. Weather factors driving the market trade include a combination of hot weather followed by timely rain from the Midwest and additional indications of reduction of the wheat crop in Russia due to dry weather. Western Midwest soil moisture is improved. Following some moderate to heavy rain this week, the rain tracking through the eastern Midwest today, but with less intensity, will lead to additional concern for pollinating corn and flowering soybeans in Indiana and Ohio. Heat building in, heat does build in for Saturday through Monday across the Midwest with crop stress increasing in drier areas. Thunderstorms in northern areas of the Midwest this weekend and southern areas early next week will benefit the entire region. In Russia, the impact of dryness early this month expected to reduce the spring wheat harvest. The reduction adds to the impact of dryness in the Russian winter wheat crop. Intense heat the past week likely damaging summer corn in southern Russia. The heat is gone, but any showers will be limited to just a few chances over the next week. In Ukraine, chances for rain remain good to excellent, especially towards western areas. All right. Well, good for the Ukraine. They're getting some rain there. That's, exactly. That's, that's good. Hopefully we'll get some of that at the beginning of next week. Yeah, offset this heat that's coming for this weekend and, of course, return to some summer-like levels of temperatures here in the next few days. A reminder, too, if, you're, if you've got work to do on Saturday, be, you know, be careful, be smart with it, keep hydrated, and try to do it when in, not at the peak heating of the day. Exactly. Keep that water handy. Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? WeatherTab, krvn.com. The Soil Health Partnership's cover crop planting report released July 9th shows that farmers are using diverse strategies to plant cover crops in a variety of plant species to accomplish their soil health goals. Maria Bowman, lead scientist at the Soil Health Partnership of the National Corn Growers Association, says they did the report for several reasons. We wanted to do a survey of farmers within our network, both to build our database to understand what our farmers are doing, but also to provide some context to our, the farmers in our network and others outside of our network about what farmers are planting, what cover crops they're using, when they're getting it in there, and how much it costs. So kind of the basics of cover crop management. And our hope is that the survey, combined with a lot of the other types of data that we collect, like yield data, soils data, agronomic data will answer some of the important questions we have about how cover crops impact these outcomes and especially farmer profitability. One of the key takeaways the report found was many farmers are planting after harvest, but Bowman says not all farmers are. But interestingly, we found that about 25% of farmers that we're working with that responded to the survey interseeded or overseeded their cover crop into a standing cash crop. So they're actually getting in there either with an airplane 
maybe with some kind of a high clearance seeding rig to get that cover crop in before they harvest the cash crop. And that can provide a longer window for the cover crop to establish. And you can see it in the planting dates they reported. Soil Health Partnership has nine field representatives helping farmers to design the cover crop trials. And the field manager will help that farmer think through what might be a good fit for them within their cash crop rotation, um, given their constraints and their land base and everything they have going on. So that is something that I think is really unique about our program, that we're providing that agronomic and technical assistance with the farmer through this process, because it can be really challenging um, and risky to go down this path of trying new practices, especially growing a cover crop that has a really clear cost, but it's not always clear what the benefits are going to be. So we try and make sure that we're providing that technical assistance alongside this research that we have going on as well. Bowman says the report also looked at cost and profitability, which are key when farmers make a decision on whether to plant cover crops and what kind saw that there was a lot of variability in cost depending on the species and the seeding method, but the median cost of cover crop seed was about $15 an acre from the respondents in our network, and the cost to apply it was about $12 an acre. So we're looking at, you know, $25 to $30 an acre to get that cover crop seed and get it in. And no surprise, but the more diverse your mix is, the more expensive your seed is going to be, right? So there's also that trade-off in terms of farmer decision-making about what their goals are for their cover crop and how much they're willing to spend on the seed. Bowman says with the report done, they are looking forward at how soil health practices and changes in the soil can make farmers more resilient. It's been a very tough time in terms of economic markets and weather variability. There are always challenges out there as a farmer, and we're trying to really quantify how these practices can play a role in in making farmers more resilient. So we plan to look at yield specifically. Obviously, that's one component of farmer profitability. So one research goal that I have is to look at how cover crops impact yield, um, not just in a single year, but over time, and whether that's something that has a quantifiable benefit in terms of farmer resiliency. The Soil Health Partnership is also hearing from farmers on how they are beginning to see how soil practices can help change soil structure and build soil stability. For more information and to download the report, visit SoilHealthPartnership.org. I'm Chabella Guzman with the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Scott Foster is now in, and boy, you were just here a couple of minutes ago, and now you're back. Welcome back. Yeah, well, and you know what? I was the guy today who had something really hot for for lunch, so I'm I'm a little spicy today. Did you? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't expecting it at all. Okay, kind of like yesterday for me. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. all right. Yeah, it sat around and uh, cooked, mm-hmm. cooked pretty good. All so. right, well, what do we have for sports? Well, we, uh, it's an interesting time right yeah, now. Yeah, you know, we're still trying to figure out what exactly is going to happen. I've had a couple conversations with Jay Beller, the head of the NSAA, and he said, you know, it's kind of a day-by-day thing. But certainly we watch and see what other people do, and that affects the dominoes as they fall. And kind of uh, competing ideas here coming out of some of our neighbor states. The start of high school sports will be delayed until early September following Governor Laura Kelly's postponement of the start of the 2020-2021 school year until after Labor Day. That's in Kansas. The Kansas high school sports calendar was officially set to begin August 17th, The delay will then push sports back three weeks. The executive order, which will 
which was broadcast on Facebook, includes a delay for when sports schools can begin practices. It's unclear whether the order will impact schools that are currently holding voluntary workouts. Now we go a little north, and this just came out. North Dakota is allowing fall sports to take place. They will be putting kind of the responsibility of having or not having sports on local schools and school districts to decide. So it's up in the air. And I wonder if Nebraska could follow something like that, like what North Dakota is doing. If you approve sports, that's fine. And understanding that, again, this is a different time of year. Maybe not every district, unfortunately, is going to be able to participate this year. But, again, that's just into the times we're in. Does the NSAA allow sports to happen but then give it uh, to each school district the opportunity to decide whether they want to proceed or not proceed this year. Right. Well, and it could be. You wonder if that's not passing the buck a little bit and not wanting to make the decision. However, we have very divergent school districts in Nebraska, and what's good for Millard North is not what's good for Mullen. And so, yeah, it's uh, there's so many things to fold. And decisions are going to have to be made fairly soon. Yeah. We're getting to the middle now of July, and the July is coming soon. And then, of course, we've got to figure out if we're going to have sports or not. So it's going to be interesting. Well, here's some good news. This is something we can all agree on. 2020 uh, Penn Pleasanton Bulldogs standout Katie Nichols will be continuing her career playing basketball in Midland, and uh, we've seen Katie play a few times. She's good. She is terrific. Yeah, Yeah, she really is. So that'll be a good addition to the Warriors. So good for her. And here's some good news. For millions of college football fans, Couch Potato Saturdays begin with ESPN's College Game Day. The COVID-19 pandemic has put those fall college football Saturdays in peril, but ESPN's Lee Fitting says if the season can be salvaged, there will be game day. Fitting oversees all of the network college studio shows and remote programs. He says that the show this year might not look like some of the traveling circus fans have been accustomed to over the nearly three decades. Three decades of that show. Lee Corso's signature selection at the end of the show could be done from his home in central Florida with the 84-year-old former coach donning a baseball cap instead of a mascot head. <laughs> Very appropriate for this time of year. He'll be doing Zoom. Yeah, exactly. It, I can't imagine Lee Corso knowing how to do Zoom. Somebody's going to have to. Kurt, Kurt Herbstreit will come over yeah, and no, uh, they'll for sure have for fun him. with that. If there's college sports, who knows with that too? So <sighs> goodness yeah, really gracious. Don't. So anyway, very good, very good. And and uh, one last thing: Wisconsin plans to have its sports teams wear a University Crest logo with a black W to show solidarity with black and other underrepresented communities on campus. All right, very good. Well, thank you very much, Scott. You betcha. Well, it's time for Midday News, and Ellen Laird is now sitting in. And first, before we get to the news, Ellen, first off, you're a brand new full-time member of our KRV yeah. News team. Congratulations and welcome aboard. Thank you. I know you've been here, you know, off and on a little bit here the last several months, last couple of years, but mm-hmm. uh, now we officially have been able to get you full-time. So <laughs> yeah. congratulations and thanks for wanting to be a part of our team well, as well. Well, it was always a goal after starting here in college. So well, Perfect. It's been a, a long process, I know, for you, but <laughs> uh, here we are and uh, everything is right in the world now. So yes. how's news looking? I know we're talking a lot about a COVID-19 stuff, uh, but what do you have for us today? Yeah, so in recent months, the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration has seen a significant spike in traffic-related deaths across the country, largely attributed to vehicles traveling faster than the posted speed limit. 
with fewer vehicles on the highways due to COVID-19. Earlier today, administrators from NHTSA and, and state patrol leaders from across Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, and Arkansas held a multi-state press conference in Lee's Simmet, Missouri, a suburb of Kansas City, to talk about traffic initiatives and how the various states will together to help keep motorists safe. And Colonel John Bulldock, superintendent of the Nebraska State Patrol, explains how serious this issue is. Just yesterday, the Nebraska State Patrol issued its 400th citation for speeds in excess of 100 miles per hour since the public health emergency was declared in March. That compares to the similar time period in the previous three years where we issued only 218 of those citations. The five-state coalition with, will work to expand enforcement patrols, coordinate messaging, and publicly excuse me, publicity efforts and shared data among states to reduce the amount of high-speed offenders. About 90 people staying at an Omaha homeless shelter have been put in isolation after another guest there tested positive for the coronavirus. The Omaha World Herald reports that the Siena Francis House north of downtown Omaha made the move after becoming aware of the positive case on Tuesday. The shelter's chief development officer, Chris Knopf, says the unit where the infected man was staying has been deep cleaned and other common areas of the shelter have been sanitized. The development comes as state health officials announce new confirmed cases of the virus and several COVID-19 deaths on Wednesday. Nebraska lawmakers will reconvene the 2020 legislative session on July 20th with issues such as property tax relief and state business incentives looming. In response to a question about whether some form of property tax relief is possible in the current economy, Appropriations Committee Chairman Senator John Stinner of Gearing offered this take. I'm going to say it's going to be 50-50 having money for the floor period. Um, and I'm saying 50-50 because I think there are some adjustments we can make and leave a, a small amount or a dab amount of money for the floor. Then we need to have a real uh, discussion about how we use um, things like the property tax relief fund. Are we going to leave it alone or are we going to try to incorporate some of that? Or are we going to try to take a little bit of money out of the rainy day fund? Those will be interesting discussions as we move forward. Center predicts if there is funding left for property tax relief, it will be minimal at best. And Center says he sees the business tax incentive package as having a little more immediacy because the current Nebraska Advantage Act incentive law expires at year's end. The Imagine Nebraska Act bill, LB 720, has been proposed as a replacement. Iowa, South Carolina, and South Dakota have now joined Nebraska in agreement to share driver's license information with the U.S. Census Bureau to help the Trump administration determine the citizenship status of every U.S. resident. Until recently, Nebraska has been the sole state to sign an agreement with the Census Bureau to share their information. President Donald Trump ordered the Census Bureau last year to gather citizenship data from the administrative records of federal and state agencies after the U.S. Supreme Court blocked his administration's efforts to place a citizenship question on the 2020 census questionnaire. That is interesting because I kind of figured every state was already doing that. Well, yeah. I mean, it just makes sense. They already have the information, <laughs> so why yeah. would you not? I already kind of figured you're already passing it along to everything else, so why not the well, U.S. Yeah. Census Bureau? But okay, all right, well, everybody else or a couple other states jumping on board. Uh, makes me wonder how many states aren't doing it, at, mm -hmm. I guess, at this point. So. All right, very good. Well, thank you very much, Ellen.
It's fair time in Dawson County, and we meet a four-generation 4-H family in Dawson County. I'm Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, and the Rickardson family has been a part of the Dawson County 4-H program now for over four generations. And I have the opportunity to talk with three generations right now. We're going to start here with Grandpa, with Bruce Rickardson. And Bruce, thank you so much for being able to talk to us. But first, let's just go back and talk to us about your experience in Dawson County 4-H. I started in 4-H in 1959, and I've been helping set up the fair probably a few years before I was even a member, and I've done it every year since. What were some of the projects you took back in the day? Well, I, we started out with sheep. Our club originally was a sheep club. I showed sheep for 10 years, and then I progressed into market calves, too. When Kurt came along, I knew better than to have him show sheep, so we didn't have sheep after that. Today, you're fully involved in production agriculture. Do you attribute some of your success in that field because you started in 4-H? Yes, I would I would say so. My dad was a cattle feeder, a smaller one, and I was always interested in the cattle, and uh, I was pretty active in the livestock judging as a 4-H'er and in college, and we carried that on through to uh, develop our cattle feeding operation. For the young people today, what would you say is the biggest advantage they have by being in 4-H? Well, I think the biggest advantage is uh, you get to work with your parents, work on your projects, especially the large animal projects. The kids can't do it by themselves. They have to have help. And it's a, it's a good time for one-on-one with their parents. And they're usually the parents are doing something that they know how to do, and they can pass that on to their kids. Let's go down to the second generation. That is Kurt. And Kurt, uh, you've got your daughters in it now. Your dad is still helping. So you're kind of in this really interesting generation where you get to see both sides of it. How exciting is that? It's it's very exciting to see my kids do some of the things that I used to do. And it's also very interesting to be on the parent side now and have more appreciation of what my parents did for me uh, when I went through this. Being involved in market beef, did this set you up when you went off to college and kind of set you up for the real world being in 4-H? It really did. And what I think one of the big benefits of, of any of the 4-H programs is is that the kids kids are learning learning to do Uh, they're learning to do things that most of their peers don't do uh, and they're getting set up for whatever they want to do my my career didn't go straight into ag but a lot of the things I learned through 4-H helped me in in a lot of different ways and now that I've looped back into to to full-time ag uh, a lot of those practical lessons are now very important. Going forward, what would be your recommendation from the parent perspective if they've got a young one that's looking into 4-H, what are some of those first things that they need to be thinking about and why they should let their kids in? Well, I think going back to what I stated previously about just the, the learning learning to do a lot of the, the, the practical skills that kids can pick up. For, for our kids, we've, we've started the young ones with uh, the Bucket Calf Project, which is much less intimidating than a... 1300 pound steer uh, and gets them comfortable with doing the chores and getting around the animal and and learning learning to do the care and then gets them set up to take the step up to the bigger animals that are more complicated and more work Uh, but i think the the taking those those small steps and turning them into building blocks is really what we found to be successful Now let's meet the next generation, and of course one of the first things you have to do at your 4-H club is introduce yourself to everybody. So introduce yourself to everyone on the radio and tell us which 4-H club you're involved with. 
I'm Greta, and I'm involved with Horseshoe Bend, the Horseshoe Bend 4-H Club. What all projects are you taking this year in 4-H? I have market beef, pigs, and rockets. Due to COVID, I haven't done a lot of my other ones. That's completely understandable, and of course this year looks a lot different. Out of those, what would you say is your favorite project, and why is it your favorite project? My pigs, uh, last year was my first year, and I think I, re I really liked it because it was my first time showing some different kind of livestock other than cows, and I did pretty well at it. Well, congratulations. If you were to talk to somebody who's interested in 4-H, why would you say what's the number one thing of why they should join 4-H? Because it teaches kids stuff that you don't normally do sometimes. Like building a rocket is something I never did until I started 4-H or baking mostly on my own. There's one more records in here to meet and why don't you as your sister did introduce yourself and tell us which 4-H club you're with. I'm Lorelai Richardson, and I'm in the Horseshoe Bend 4-H Club. And before we started the interview, you were talking about that you have a bucket cap. So what's your bucket cap's name that you're bringing to fair this year? Her name is Twinkle Toes. How did you come up with Twinkle Toes? Well, before I actually got my calf, my dad was, was going to decide if I should have that calf. And you need to call the calf something when you go into to feed it her so he started calling her twinkle toes and so i just called her twinkle toes well it's a very fun name with that what is one of the most important things preparing twinkle toes for the fair that you've done this year you definitely have to work on leading her because if you just start leading her right the day of fair then she will not be ready for fair and there we met three generations of the Rickardson family who have all been involved in dawson county 4-h you're listening to the rural radio network Hi, Bob Brogan with the Business Report. Wall Street is drifting lower after mixed reports on the economy highlighted its uncertain path, including one showing that layoffs continue at a stubbornly steady pace. The S&P 500 was six-tenths percent lower in early afternoon trading, following up on declines across Europe and Asia as a worldwide rally for markets fades. Roughly as many stocks were up in the S&P 500 as down, but the drops were sharp enough to pull the index toward its first loss in three days. Tech stocks and travel-related companies were down. The number of laid-off workers seeking unemployment benefits remained stuck at 1.3 million last week. The historically high level indicates many companies are still cutting jobs as the, as the viral outbreak intensifies. The elevated level of applications for jobless aid is occurring as new confirmed cases of coronavirus are spiking across much of the Sun Belt, threatening to weaken the economic recovery. U.S. retail sales climbed a solid 7.5% in June. It's a sign that the economy was healing right before infections from the coronavirus spiked again and dragged down hopes for a steady recovery. The Census Bureau reports that retail sales are 1.1% higher than their levels from a year ago after a brutal plunge in March and April was offset by a decent rebound in May and June. Consumer banking giant Bank of America saw its profits drop by more than half in the second quarter. The report comes as the bank sets aside billions of dollars to cover potentially bad loans caused by the pandemic. And Johnson & Johnson beat Wall Street's second quarter expectations and bumped up its 2020 forecast 
even though COVID-19 contributed to a 40% drop in U.S. medical device sales. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Good life, great stakes, and Nebraska. Don't they all seem to go together? Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield. I'm excited to have you join me every Friday as we talk about grilling some great Nebraska beef with the Nebraska Beef Council. Did you know that Nebraska consistently ranks in the top three for beef-producing states in the U.S.? And one out of every four steaks, burgers, and roasts comes from Nebraska. Make sure to tune in Fridays after 2.30 on KRVN. Is the cattle market finally catching up on trade? Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Brad Coima is with Coima, Coima and Varlick out of Sioux Center, Iowa, and joins me on Wednesdays for a program we call Cattle Call. So I asked him about a recent major purchase from a packer. Well, that's a that's a good place to start because, uh, you know, the, the, the supply side fundamental, obviously, that's the most significant is where are we at in terms of being able to uh, get out from behind this backlog that was created by the inability to slaughter cattle there for a couple of months? Um, now, uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm trying to read too carefully, but I don't know how you can. I mean, that's kind of what our job is here. But you know, one of the majors uh, that has participated in the cash market all along has been one certainly the leader in in in, 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 in an awful lot of this cash trade. Um, would buy some cattle every week, but it was always on a limited volume. And um, now right around here, the last 24 hours or so, uh, they have bought a significant volume. Um, uh, now the bids are largely steady, uh, but uh, I, I just wondered if maybe that was a little bit more of a constructive sign that they were willing to take on a little more inventory. You know, I always had a pavy saying that, well, if the packer wants to own cattle, so do I. Uh, you know, I mean, it implies that you know, maybe they've got meat sold ahead. Maybe they see that the numbers are getting a little bit tighter. You know, maybe that's why they have a desire to get a little bit more out in front of the market. Um, so that that might be just a little bit encouraging. We are getting a bigger tier, Susan, between the north and the south. Uh, you know, or we'll have cattle today that'll probably bring towards a dollar, and the south has cattle that'll bring in ninety-four to ninety-five, uh, which does reflect the area that is more current, which is us. Nebraska, Iowa are nicely current, very nice. They tell me Kansas is getting closer, Texas not so much. Uh, but, you know, so as we continue to export cattle out of Texas, all the way up as far as Dakota City, et cetera, uh, hopefully that'll help to, to pull that to pull that oversupply and get that leveled out here again. Is there any concerns with as dry and hot as it is in the Texas-Oklahoma panhandle that this going to have some effects on this cattle market? Usually that view is bearish. Um, you know, the fear is that you're going to bring some uh, non-fed slaughter to town, uh, cows, um, uh, that you might have people willing to merchandise cattle easier, quicker. They don't want them to die in the heat, yada, yada. Um, so, uh, you know, t- t- today's powerful day in the face of all of that is kind of impressive. I thought maybe there was a bit of a story there as to your question on the fear cattle market. Um, you know, because just imagine if you're Texas, for instance, and you're backlogged. Okay. So that means the pens are full, obviously. So if you've got cattle that have to move off grass because you ran out of water, ran out of grass, uh, would that not be potentially negative to feeder cattle because who wants them where are you going to put them if your yards are full? So the feeder cattle have absolutely literally led us here the last couple of days. So to me, if that's a situation, the market isn't caring about it right now. It's caring about something else, um, which is, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, 
was saying, I'm not sure what the market's trading, and that that isn't the, that isn't meant to be a sarcastic comment. It's meant to say that there are times when the market cares about this kind of news, and there's the times that the market cares about a different kind of news. And it seems to me like the market now is starting to care about, okay, we've, we've, we've been in this COVID nightmare since end of February. We are getting a lot of cattle dead. We're starting to look past it. We are a futures market, right? Comments today with Brad Coima. You can hear our entire conversation on our website at ruralradio.com. Just look for the cattle call. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Good afternoon. As we take a look at what we're seeing in the market trade, I'm Susan Littlefield here on the Rural Radio Network. We're going to take a closer look at what we're seeing in the grain futures today with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst of Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, I'll tell you, John, it's nice to be able to see some green on the screen, at least in the corn and the beans, though the struggle continues for the wheat. Yeah, well, wheat's had a really good couple of weeks here, so you're getting some profit-taking and sales hit. Improving central U.S. yield is, you know, almost a foregone conclusion at this point. I, I hate to uh, jump on the side of, of a bigger crop in the middle of July, but just looking at the forecast and the amount of rain we've gotten this way, I think, um, you know, gains are going to be tough to hold. I think we can see moves up, but to see a substantial rally in trade, say, 360 into the, into the fall or into the fall delivery, which is uh, September 1, uh, really doesn't, at least my reputation. So I, I think you got to be looking to sell rallies and, um, you know, they'll come. You look at a market like livestock that just kind of woke up here. So grains can do it. White, wheat did it earlier in the week. It's giving back some gains, but I do think you're going to see uh, uh, some buyers come in at the end of the week as black seed prices are starting to go up. So I think this is a little bit overbaked for the, for the wheat. Looking at the corn, we saw the weekly export sales report showing lower than anticipated new crop corn sales. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the case when you're that much more expensive than your competition. Um, the On the bean side of it, it wasn't that great either. China um, pretty much represents all of our buying at this point, so we're not seeing a lot of supply movement uh, elsewhere, which uh, is, is concerning, um, just given how far behind we are in, in export totals. So I, I think down the road you got to be prepared for them to, to lower USDA exports for this year and possibly for next year and maybe add some supply to it. So, again, I think prices are well well priced here um, for the short run, but I do think at some point this fall you'll see the September contract sub, sub 315 if, if all things hold, in my opinion. Dollar influence as we look at our, our competitors to the south? Dollar influence is going to be a, a trend for a while. I don't see anything that really changes it. Um, I think the biggest thing we have here is um, just, you know, this next two weeks, Susan, are going to be wild with, with the, uh, whether they're going to pass this, uh, this extension of the Unemployment Act. Uh, are they going to continue to, uh, to pay folks to stay out of work? What's going to happen with the virus? I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of repercussions from what happens into the end of July. So I think you have to stay liquid here and be ready for you know, selling selling grains on the upside, I think livestock as well. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much again. John Payne joining with Daniels Ag Marketing. You can learn more about them at DanielsAgMarketing.com. Do remember trading futures involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. It's listen to the Rural Radio Network. All right, thank you very much, Susan. We'll let her wrap up today's midday program here on KRVN. 
If you missed anything, you can listen to our Midday Podcast, available on krvn.com or on iTunes. Our Midday Podcast is sponsored by Deveni Motors. Coming up in a few moments, it's KRVN News, brought to you by the NATA Group, Nebraska Aviation Trade Association. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Divinity Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DiviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divinity deal.